But today we're going to continue on the theme of the Holy Spirit as well as next week. Now, you, you were, um, four or five weeks ago, we delved into the Old Testament prophets in Zechariah and then Joel about the latter rain, the days of the latter rain. And we, we talked about days of restoration. And the scripture so beautifully gives us hope about a God who restores humanity unto himself. And then three Sundays ago, I believe it was, the third Sunday of July, um, we talked about uh, how that the promise was through John the Baptist that there's one greater coming than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't know about you, but, you know, you think fire. Okay, what's with the fire thing? Okay. And what we see, by the way, if you missed that one, I would urge you to go and go listen to it. Okay. Because we just like delved into the beauty of scripture concerning fire. And fire is about purification. All through scripture. That's why the Bible says God is an all-consuming fire. He consumes Whatever is not pure of pure love. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 talks about we are all going to stand before the judgment of God and we will face fire. And the fire will burn away, metaphorically, wood, hay, and stubble, and even gold and silver, that which is like gold and silver in our lives, that is beautiful, needs to be refined. And so Paul says, you know, you, you're, you're, you, you're going to go through the fire, but you'll be saved. Well, I'm I you glad for that. Okay. So I don't care who you are on the planet. We all get to face the fire in his eyes. You remember that in Revelation? The fire in his eyes. Well, what's the fire in Jesus' eyes? How many of you think Jesus has destruction in him? No, just the opposite. It's purification. It's pure love. Anyhow. I, don't know, I get excited about this subject, but I wince too because I'm going to stand before the Lord and answer and uh, think. And here's the amazing thing is that we don't have to go um, move forward out of fear, but each day we just live as unto the Lord and just knowing this, that we're not perfected yet, meaning Christ's righteousness is, is, is perfect and whole. And so we've been clothed with his righteousness, but there are still things in our lives. And the Paul makes it so clear that we are now being in process of being conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that sometimes it's easier to see the flaws and the junk in other people's lives than our own? Right? Right? I mean, I can see it in you easy. And you're sitting here looking at me like, Galen, we see your stuff. You don't have it all together. And you're like, you're right, I don't. And here's the crazy thing. Sometimes I can't even, I don't even know myself. You can see some things that are not good or right that I may not even be able to see. And it works with all of us. But there's no shame in that, no condemnation. We're all in a beautiful work in process, aren't we? So today I want to talk about fellowship with Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. You know, we were having fellowship with Holy Spirit just a little bit ago. I just appreciate uh, Savannah and Vanjie and Jordan uh, up here just leading us today. And they were just like communing and fellowshipping with Holy Spirit. And we're here just kind of tracking with them and moving with them, Okay. It's just a beautiful flow of Holy Spirit interaction and activity in the room. To appropriately contextualize the ministry of Holy Spirit, let's remember that God the Father, Christ the Son, and Holy Spirit have existed eternally before the universe or the earth was even created. And the three in one have never known anything but perfect union, union and love. All of the universe and the creation on earth exists with 
in the love and union of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, there's evil in that mix. But nothing exists outside of God, okay? Nothing, including all beings, dead or alive, is outside the love and the scope of the influence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because let's remember, he's God. Okay. I love this scripture, Colossians 1. He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That pretty well covers the whole gamut, right? All things have been created through him, for him. He is before all things and in, everybody say, in, in him, all things hold together. No one or nothing has eluded God. Like David said in the Psalms, he said, Ben, you know, I can go to the highest heavens. It doesn't matter where I run, where I go, there you're there. I can go down to the lowest hell and you're there. It's like, man, I can't outrun you. I can't outwit you, God, because you're everywhere. That's right, because all of creation of the universe is within Christ and held together in Christ. Does Christ condone the evil within? Of course not. That's why he made it possible for all of us to have our hearts purged, cleansed, and to experience being the newness of life in and through him and to experience restoration. And it's his heart and his will. Acts 17, for in him, Paul speaking to the pagans, uh, the pagan philosophers in Athens, in him, Christ, we live, we move, we exist. And as some of your poets have said, we are also his children. That's why the scripture says repeatedly we're made in his image and likeness. And Paul says the whole thing is to be conformed. That's what the whole Christian walk is about. So then in the incarnation, the eternal son became human flesh. And so he demonstrated his love to the world by, get this, becoming what he loves most. He became what he loved most. He became human, took on human flesh. Christ the Son was not, when he was birthed into this world, just one additional individual. You go, oh, well, that's nice. Christ was born. That's nice to have one more human on the earth. Oh, he's a nice boy. No, no, he was not merely an additional human walking about on earth who was just perfect and above sin. But he went about, and then he did something for humankind at the cross and the resurrection. But there's more. What Christ the Son did, he did not only, put it in brackets here, not only for us, but he did with us. Guys, I did not understand this until a few years ago. I didn't understand it. I saw Christ more as a person out here and that I was outside of him and that he did something for me and then he invites me to come into uh, proximity and causes me by his spirit, his grace to the, in, 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 receive him, okay? Common expression in Christianity and appropriately so. But there's something he did with us. That's why the scriptures identify. And this used to puzzle me when I memorized, when I was in junior high, I memorized Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Our pastor encouraged all of us young guys in the church to memorize these. He, he was a real scholar of the book of Romans, wrote a book on it, commentary on it. He did an amazing job. He was a great, great Bible teacher. And he so understood the grace of God. And uh, he never would speak condemning words and I was so privileged to sit under his ministry for quite a number of years until he retired. But <clears throat> he, he, he spoke this, but I never actually caught it. And in Romans, it talks about, you know, basically when Christ died, we died. I'm like, but that didn't make sense because I wasn't born yet, you know. 
So I'm getting all hung up in the context of timeline, but we understand that the eternal Christ, whatever he does, is eternal, therefore it's good past, present, and future. And so even before I was born, Christ goes to the cross, he died with, but guess what? He not only did it for me so that in the future I could discover, but actually there was something, and this is kind of a part of where mystery comes in, that you can't always understand it, and it's not intended uh, for God to try to keep it from us, but as we grow in the grace of God, more and more we go, aha, aha. Have any of you had an aha moment in the last year? Like you understood something before and you go, oh, that kind, that's different than I ever understood. Don't you love those times? If you don't get those at least once a year, you have them growing. You're just rehashing the same old things. So I always want to keep your heart in mind. God, give me another aha moment today. And he can use dreams. He can use other people. He can use people who don't even have a relationship with him and give you an aha moment to a broadness. So what Christ did, he not only did for us, but he did with us. How? Because one, he's connected with all of humanity as a creator and all things are held together in him. Secondly, in his incarnation, he came and he united himself with all humankind. That's why he was able to, when he was at the cross, he assumed the sin. He didn't do it for us. That's why the scripture says he became sin. He literally, um, he assumed. It, it was just literally something that, that, that within his own being, he, he just, he, he took it all within himself and upon himself. And he didn't just do it for us. It's interesting to me that some people think they exist by virtue of some evolutionary process which had nothing to do with God. And they think they're self-existent. There's actually uh, numerous religions. And of course, an atheist doesn't really believe that there is a God, but there's also the religion of humanism then one of its tenets of faith is that we are self-existent. Surprise. There's a surprise coming. No, you're not self-existent. And I love the testimonies of those who thought they were, and then they had an aha moment with God, and they go, oh, my goodness. And they shake their heads. And I've listened to some of those testimonies over the year, and, and it's just it's amazing to hear. And if somebody doesn't get it now, one day... As Apostle Paul warned the philosophers in Acts chapter 17, verses 26, 27, 28, he says, there's coming a time when we will all stand before him. He's the judge, and he's the one, but he's not far from you. As a matter of fact, it's in him that you live and move and have your existence right now, but we're all going to stand before him, and what a surprise that will be if, we always, if any of us have, have thought that we're self-existent. Surprise. But what are we going to see? Stand in front of an angry God. You denied me. I've had it. You're condemned. No, they're already forgiven. Oh, but he's got fire in his eyes. What's the fire? It's the pureness of love. And you know what? There's going to be some weeping and gnashing of teeth and anguish. I missed it. I missed it. I spent my life. I missed it. I didn't know. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Ah, that's another story, but it's going to be a beautiful scene. Well, all things exist within and by Christ the creator. He never excludes that which he creates. What? Do you mean that does you actually, does anyone here believe that God will take a part of himself? That which he creates is part of him, and he's going to take a part of himself and exclude it from, he the, from himself. Every human is actually a part of him. No one can exist outside of him. Does that make any sense that God says, okay, I'm going to exclude and I'm going to destroy part of me? Are you kidding it's not the God of the scriptures. I do realize it's a God that some people have kind of worked up in their minds, but it's, it, it's just like, it's like, I can just tell you right now, it's not the kind of God I want to have anything to do with. If that's the way he treats himself, 
He's going to take part of him and exclude and cast away and just like, you're dirt. Now, here's what's interesting. that Sometimes in our darkness, human beings think they can outwit, outrun God. Here's an amazing scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, 17. Uh, and Paul gives us some insight into this. Now, in, in, in chapter 4, Paul is talking about this great privilege of being united with God in Christ Jesus and how that we are uh, uh, together, have been joined together. And then he says, this I testify of the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due and connected to the hardness of heart. Okay? So there's darkness in human heart. So wherever see, wherever you, if you ever find yourself or if you've ever found yourself not in a healthy place, it's because there's a measure of darkness within our minds, within our hearts. Maybe there's a bit of a lukewarmness or maybe a hardening of heart. And when you look around society and you see some people that are just consumed with evil and it's like, what went wrong? I don't know everybody's story, but I do think that if we're filled with love and compassion, we don't condemn, but we rather go, oh, no. What caused this person to go out and destroy the lives of innocent people? How, how could they do that? There's darkness. There may be a hardening of heart. There's ignorance. They haven't seen the grace of God yet. So what's my response? I hope it's going to be a Jesus response that, 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 that feels with them and, and that recognizes the brokenness there the, and, and they're lost. And, and Jesus said, what does he do with the lost sheep? He goes after them until he finds them. Never, ever. Does he give up looking and going after or after the lost coin? So when someone is in darkness, it can be easy like, oh, well, whatever. Man, you're to be pitied, dude. You are one sick Jose. You're demented. You're whatever. And we sometimes react like that. At least I have. Maybe you guys never have. But I sure have. And it's a reaction and a repulsion to the evil and the sickness and, 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 and the, the confusion of their minds. But yet Christ says, whoa, whoa, Galen, I want you to have my heart. I want you to recognize that they're ignorant. They're literally in darkness. Yes, there may be some rebellion of the heart, but my heart is for them, and I'm going to go after them. Will you join me in this effort? Well, God, what can I do? Well, but you can pray. Pray what? Pray that Holy Spirit will come and reveal Jesus and turn the lights on. That's how I can help rather than criticize or just walk the other way. So for the person that doesn't recognize God, doesn't see Christ, remember God is still near them, with them, and they exist within him. From our worldly way of thinking and unredeemed thinking, you think like, man, why does God even tolerate it? Why does he just cut him off and cast him out? It's not consistent with who he is. It's certainly not consistent with scripture. Okay? Will they miss out on many? Oh, yes. And will they be sorrowful down the road someday? Oh, yes. But my heart is got to be one of redemption. Now, concerning Jesus, Romans 5.14 teaches us that Adam was a perfect uh, pattern of the one to come, speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, we remember Adam. Now, you say, in order to have a true fellowship with Holy Spirit, this stuff is really, really hugely important and foundational. That's, that's why I'm taking a few minutes on it. I know for some of you, it's old hat. It's like, okay, I, I, I already know all this. I have a total grasp on it. Really cool, but not necessarily 
does every one of us. And so we cannot fully appreciate who Holy Spirit is and fellowship with him without contextualizing. So whereas Adam disobeyed God and he brought death and sin into the world to all people, right? All of us have been haunted by because of the sin and the death that was brought into the world because of Adam. And that's why we need a savior because we have this propensity to sin and, and, and propensity towards evil until our hearts are captured by the love of Christ. Well, Jesus also, but he in harmony with the Father and the Son uh, and the Spirit united with humanity and he brings righteousness and life eternal to all people. So the effects of Adam were not something that I had control over. The effects of Jesus and in terms of what he has done for and with me is not something I have any control over. That's why he's called the second Adam. He does for us. He doesn't act because he needs our approval first. He does it because the pure love knows what humanity needs. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're in sync together. Christ comes. He goes to the cross he, he rises from the dead. He ascends into the heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he didn't ask for our permission first. And so his righteousness has, is, is for all people. Now, the only difference is, though, we haven't discovered it. Just like with the effects of sin in our life for the first Adam, I have actually spent time with individuals that had no concept of sin or, or them being um, um, you know, living in sin of some kind. No, no concept of it. That's hard for me to believe due to my background. And it was like shaking, but they literally had no concept of it. But they were under the effect of Adam's failure, even though they didn't realize it. In like manner, all of humanity is under the influence of Christ's victory, even though they don't realize it. And so the sharing of the gospel is to share what Jesus has done for and with us and praying that the Holy Spirit will cause that to be more than mental intellectual information, but there will be an enlightenment and somebody goes, oh my goodness, I get it. And have an aha moment. And then go, yes, Jesus, I embrace the reality of who you are and what you have done for and with me. Oh. <gasps> and experience relationship with Christ Jesus. Sometimes we refer to that as being saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die. It's not optional. Well, I don't like this idea that Adam's sin has an effect on me. Sorry. It does. I think I'm just going to be, try to be this perfect person. Sorry, it's not going to happen because of Adam's effect on you. But as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Well, I don't like that because after all, I need to decide for myself. I mean, he shouldn't have done that and just went out on his own and he dies for my sin and he removed my sin and he reconciled me to God. I just don't like that idea. I'm not even sure if I believe in a God. Sorry, dude. He already did it for you and with you. He invites you to simply say yes to the reality of who he is and what he has done and experience his glorious grace. And some people fight that because I'm my own person. I will decide. I, I, I. It's like, well, go ahead, you know, be your own thing, but sooner or later, you're going to come to recognize. So it was not because of our doing that death and, centered, uh, death and sin entered the lives of humans. We were born with the effects of death and sin. It's not because of our doing that righteousness and life was provided for all human beings, including ourselves. So we were born into the effects of the cross when death was defeated and humanity was reconciled unto God and raised to newness of life in Christ. May not be our experience yet, but it's still a living reality. 
Everyone has been included and invited to actively, consciously participate. That's where God changes our will and makes us willing. Yeah. He, influ- he works with us to influence our will. And we've all experienced that in many times in our lives. How many times in our lives it's like, well, no, I'm not willing. And later God is patient with us and gentle with us. And sometimes we have a kind of a smacking across the face or something. And then we're like, and we wake up. Or sometimes very gently we come to realize, oh, my goodness, I don't know. My, my desire, my will is changing, of course, by the influence of who? Holy Spirit that Jesus said he would send. So becoming a participant in engaging in a fellowship of the Father and the Son only happens by the presence of the invisible, uh, or by the invisible presence of the Holy Spirit, it should say. Now, when we go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see this life of Jesus, and we see him interacting continually with the Father, but it's by the presence of Holy Spirit, because where Jesus is, there's the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christ never moved independently and acted on his own behalf. So where Christ is, there is Holy Spirit. Where Holy Spirit is today, Christ is present, although invisible most of the time. Now and then, Jesus will appear to individuals or a group in bodily form, in physical form. I've not had that experience yet, but I know people who have, and there's testimonies. Uh, I know I've read a, quite a number of testimonies or heard of the testimonies where Jesus, and he can do that because he has the ability in his glorified body to materialize and to appear in human form. We actually had some of that in Scripture, the Theophanies and such. We, we actually have it in Scripture. Before he came to earth, he would appear in human form. But my goal isn't every day is that I just got to sit around and wait for Jesus to show up so I can phys- with physical eyes see the materialized Jesus. I, I, I don't need to do that. But I, what I do recognize is oh, that he is here with me right now. He's in this room by his spirit, which he said he would ascend. Because the Holy Spirit is never apart from Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is in perfect union with Jesus and the Father. Let's go to John chapter 14, 16 to 21. What's my goal today? My goal here is to elevate our awareness of the nearness of God to us. And that how we're privileged to engage into this connected fellowship. John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, now Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm going to be going to the cross and I'm going to be going away, you know. But I'm going to ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as a spirit of truth and and is so here, okay. Because who does Holy Spirit represent or reveal? Testifies of Jesus who is truth, okay. He doesn't just speak truth. The very essence of his being is true, is pure love, and is pure truth. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Okay? So in Jesus' thing, he says, all kinds of people running around here, they don't have a clue to who I am. Even when he was in bodily form, they couldn't believe it. And then he says to the disciples, but you know him, the Holy Spirit, For he lives with you and will be in you. And so keep in mind, the disciples have been healing the sick and casting out demons. And you know, you remember when Jesus in Luke 10 sent out the 72 workers and they went into every town of the region and they were to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, cast out devils. How could they do that? Because the spirit was with them. They weren't even, quote, saved in some of the vernacular that we use, particularly in evangelical circles, we really like that word saved. And it's a term that's used in scripture, uh, Greek word sozo. In other words, it means to be preserved, to be made whole, or to experience deliverance. So in, the, in a similar fashion as we understand being saved or salvation, the disciples hadn't experienced that yet. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you. But he said it's going to even get better, guys. 
There's going to be a more intimate connection that happens after I leave because I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit not only on you guys, but upon all people. Not only now, but forever to come, every human born into this world, my spirit will be very present and near them and working in them in their lives. Well, Jesus promised that they um, <clears throat> would experience a more intimate place with Holy Spirit. So Jesus in John 16 then, in the same discourse, says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all of the truth. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears. Here's this divine synergy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He will speak and he will disclose to you what is come, what is to come. Isn't that beautiful? Another brother and I were just sharing this morning here before the service. He had a dream recently where God just spoke something to him. It's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I had a dream this week, and it was unrelated to his dream, but his two brothers we were just sharing, and I had a dream where God spoke to me. And he used an animal. He used an elephant in the dream. Now you're really curious. But anyhow, it was good. And so God has a way of communicating to us dreams, visions, obviously scripture, and he speaks to us through other people prophetically. I mean, I've had pure strangers walk up to me and say something prophetically to me. It's like, oh, my goodness. Only I know this or only Danette and I know this. How do they know? Well, of course, because we have connectedness in the Holy Spirit because of our relationship with Christ. And they know. And we'll say something prophetically. Oh, by the way, this is going to happen. Yay, all right. That should give us a clue and a motivation to try to stay really tuned into Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a good news bearer. Even when Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and speaks something about our lives that he wants to kind of like get out of the way, it's hindering us, that's actually good news. Because he wants us to be totally liberated. And the more that we die to the fleshly desires and the waywardness of our own thinking, the freer we become. That's why the scripture says truth sets you free. Okay? Christ is the liberator. Now, Jesus talked about he, the spirit has been with you, but he will be in you. You, you want to be a little careful with the metaphors of in and out. In other words, how we um, read that or understand that. It, it's, it's appropriate because we have them in Scripture. Sometimes we have metaphors that almost seem like they contradict each other. And we won't take time to talk about it. But um, there are some what appears to be contradictions. Because what the problem is sometimes we try to literalize things. You know how much the allegory is in the Bible? Hyperbole, metaphors, all through. So if we had no understand anything about literature, you recognize, oh. And so we really become really foolish if we just try to take everything literally. And because that's a big problem. And the reality is we don't. We don't. So our goal is to do better understand how God communicates. He communicates in metaphor. Okay? Bride of Christ. It's like, what is a bride of Christ? You have no idea how many times I'm sitting with somebody that's a new Christian. They're like, can you tell them, explain this bride of Christ thing? Oh, it's a metaphor. Let, let's talk about it. Okay? Now, so when it comes to in and out, 1 Corinthians 6 19 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. Let's remember Holy Spirit is a, is a person. Holy Spirit is not a commodity to be distributed or handed out. Now, I know we know that, but sometimes we can act all as if, though, it's just a commodity. Even in the expression sometimes that I have used, I've used it a lot. More Lord. That could be understood as like more water. 
Well, water is a metaphor for Holy Spirit. So yeah, I want the cleansing, purifying water of the Holy Spirit in my life, but it's always relational. So we got to always try to understand the relational aspect of it. Humans have always had connection with the Holy Spirit, and he's not just a commodity that's poured into us at will. I need more Holy Spirit. What I'm really saying, if I have proper and appropriate understanding, what I'm saying is I want to have a closer uh, communication with and an interaction with Holy Spirit. See, that's appropriate, right? I may say, I want more of Danette. You go, well, that's kind of a weird expression, okay? Well, no, what it really means is I want our relationship um, to, to, to be more connected so that I can experience more of the beauty of who she is in my life and, and, and experience her influence. Uh, let me give you an example here. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, let's go to that one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he will, uh, he with me. This scripture has been used inappropriately, frequently, it's been used inappropriately to try to preach that to someone who has no understanding of who God is. And it's used as a scripture for evangelism, okay? Context, context, context. Who is he writing to? Christians. Oh, but hold it, hold it, hold it. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, Christ is already in you. I have Jesus in my heart. Kind of really elementary type of expressions. Oh, but Jesus is on the outside. Oh, I thought if you're a Christian, now you have Christ in your heart. Yes, then what's Jesus doing on the outside? So here again, we have speaking in metaphor. Now, here's the true context. This was the letter that was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Actually, the book of Revelation is. And and there was one part in chapter 3 that's specifically written to the church of Laodicea, which is in present-day Turkey or Asia Minor. It was a very wealthy commercialized city and actually Paul referred to them in his letter to the Colossians because Colossae was just miles down the road something like 15 18 miles down the road if I remember right and so when John is on the island of Patmos and this is supposed to be somewhere around 90 AD 60 years after Christ died it says that on the Lord's day he was caught up in the spirit and he was fellowshipping with Holy Spirit. He was just like, wow. And Jesus shows up. He materializes. Or it was a vision that was so vivid it appeared that way because he gives description in the book of Revelation. But Jesus says, I've got a message to the seven churches. And one of them was the Lady of Sea in church. And in chapter three, he talks about them. They're rich, they're wealthy, and he says, but the problem is they're wretched, and he says they're poor and they're blind. What? They're Christians. They're saved. But they're wretched, poor, and blind. They probably had already prayed this prayer to receive Christ or something along that line. We don't know exactly what the custom of the day was, but that's kind of our cultural custom. Well, you got to pray to receive Jesus Christ. That's not a bad thing, but it's very actually limiting. Um, <clears throat> but it's okay. God works with all of us in, in beautiful ways. But the affections of the Laodiceans were not towards Christ, but they were distracted by their riches and wealth and the things of this world. And here's the thing. They did not even realize the condition of their lives. They did not realize, keyword, how disconnected they were. They were spiritually poor, blind, and naked. And they no longer could behold the glory of God as ones being seated in heavenly places because their eyes were upon the things of this world. 
But they were saved. The real question is, and not whether you're saved or not, the real question is, and I'm not, I don't mean to poo-poo that, uh, the, the concept, because the scripture talks about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. What I'm saying sometimes, though, is that we put everything on that, hinge it on, well, you're saved or not saved. The bigger concern is, how well connected are you with God? That's the bigger concern for ourselves. Sometimes in certain circles of Christianity, now talk, tell me, the larger portion of Christians around the world don't get caught in this. But some of us have been raised in evangelical Christianity. We put everything upon where you're saved or not saved. Oh, you're saved. Hallelujah. You're going to heaven. So trite and childish. It's missing the whole point. Salvation isn't a tick into heaven. That's not the purpose. Our salvation is about experiencing Jesus Christ as our Lord. And it's about communing with Holy Spirit. Oh, that we might have revealed to us the Father and the Son and learn to live in the richness of relationship and forsaking the things that sap our energy and distract us. That's what we ought to really be focused on. It's not about where I said a prayer at a meeting and well, now I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's so actually elementary and very trite. And it misses the point of what Christianity is about. It's not about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven one day. As a matter of fact, nowhere in Scripture did Paul say, if you'll just say this prayer, do just do this, and you'll go to heaven. He never even refers to heaven. Oh, there is a heaven, and we will spend eternity with the Lord, for sure. But the point is, the focus ought to be is, how's my heart doing with my Lord? So the Holy Spirit is actually poured out on all flesh. He's out working with all of humanity right today. But how many of you know there's a lot of people that don't have any awareness of, right? They don't have a sensitivity. They don't have an awareness. But Holy Spirit is very gentle in his nature, and he keeps working, and he's looking. Because Jesus made a promise. If I be lifted up on the cross, I will. How many of you know when Jesus says, I will, he will do it? I will draw all men unto me. In other words, there will be the active presence of my, by my spirit that will be at work, nudging, using circumstances, using situations to bring people toward Christ. And yet, how many of you know some people that are not yet aware of that? Anybody know anyone? Okay. We may have some family members. They're not yet aware. They're not living with an awareness why? Minds are darkened. Some of us have been there. Some of us have come out of past where our minds are like darkened. We all have had measures of it, okay? But Holy Spirit is working. So what's most important is this. Sometimes we can do this in our relationships, and it's like <clears throat> you get to know somebody. Oh, well, are you married? Well, that gives us a bit of orientation, meaning I have a relationship. But the bigger thing is that we're really interested in for ourselves and as you grow in friendship, how well connected are you with the one that you said vows with and I want to spend my life with you? How well connected? And how many of you know that can flex a little bit, right? For those of you who've been married any length of time, even whether it's one year, two years, 10, 20, 30, 40, however many, there can be fluctuations in that and that's not a bad thing life circumstances happen and stuff happens within us as individuals and sometimes we don't feel as well connected to our spouse but we're married so the bigger thing is what we don't want to go through life say well I'm married so oh well I guess that settles it no how well am I connected with my spouse what's happening in me maybe that's causing me to back off from my spouse what's happening in our relationship this is what Jesus is concerned about. This is why Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come closer, but I'm not going to superimpose myself on you and just force my way in. 
because love gives you opportunity for a response. But I'm going to knock, but will, will you allow me to come closer? How many of you know sometimes in our relationships, in a marriage relationship or even friendships, where you can knock, but your spouse ignores the knock? How many of you ever felt sad about that? Yeah. Sometimes it turns into major heartbreak. Happens with friendships, discouragement in friendships, and the friendship is growing and developing, and, 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 and maybe the other person knocks, hey, I'd really love to get together and just do coffee, and you're like, yeah, 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 that'd be cool sometime, and, and that's it. You take it no further because you're really not that interested to initiate. So what Jesus is trying to say is, it has about the dimensions and degrees of connectedness. And so when Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to picture like this, okay? Holy Spirit's a commodity. Come fill me up. Fill me up, Lord. Now, we have some songs we sing about fill me up. And it's appropriate because it's an expression that Paul used. It's a scriptural expression. So as long as we understand what he's talking about is, will you allow me to consume your thoughts and your heart's desires? That's what the Lord is saying. So when Paul says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I may get into this next week, but then what he talks about is the effect of that on all of our relationships. The more beautiful flow that there is with Christ by his Spirit, it spills out into our relationships. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's certain people you get around, and it's just like you feel like, I mean, you just feel like God's just like so real in them. And even if you don't have a friendship, you're like, wow, that's amazing, man. They have a connection with God. I really sense it. And it's a beautiful thing, see? And so it has influence on us. So Paul says, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. That's what Jesus, I'm knocking. I want to come in. The problem was that the Laodiceans didn't even know what they didn't know. They didn't know they were cold, wretched, and blind. But they had said the prayer. They were saved. They were going to heaven, but disconnected. This don't make Christianity about, are you going to heaven or not? No, Christianity is about are you connected with God or how well are you connected with God? I tell you, that approach, number one, is an offensive. Number two is it's kind of like a reality question that really tests. But it, but it, it can be done in a way that's in, in no way condemning or anything. I am so out of time. Maybe make a couple, one more statement or two. And next week, we're going to try to pick up on this. I'll see how I can do this, okay? The Holy Spirit is the aspect of God that works within, largely within, works about our lives and within, but he works at the deepest level of our desiring which poses the question, what is my desire? What is my deepest desire? Is my deepest desire, as Paul says in Philippians, to know him better? Is my deepest desire to have more intimate fellowship, to be consumed with the passion for Jesus Christ? Because the Holy Spirit works within me according to my deepest desire. Jesus said, I will come in. I want to come in and have a more of a close relationship. I want to disclose to you the Father's heart if you allow me to come close. And more than anything else, it's the Holy Spirit who keeps us connected. And it keeps us safe within the flow of life of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit as one seated in heavenly places. We don't create or earn the Holy Spirit, but we discover his abiding as we learn to draw on the deepest 
desires of the inner life. Lord, I'm asking you to increase our desire for a more closer, fulfilling relationship with you. And we know, Lord, that that will also have an effect upon our friendships, our family relationships, our connectedness and how we relate with people around us in the workplace. So we choose to open. If you're knocking on my heart today, I say, yes, Lord, come in. I would encourage you right where you're at now just to utter the words. If you feel prompted by the Lord saying, I'm knocking, I want to come closer, just give him a yes, Lord. Just give him a yes. I'm anticipating that today and this week, Lord, that each and every one of us will experience a more close, intimate connectedness with God the Father and Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up together. Isn't that an interesting subject? We start talking about God and how he works. It's like, wow. So, Lord, take the things that we've already understood and make them more real. And any dimension that we have been, that has been highlighted today to us, to us individually by Holy Spirit, Lord, let us get a grasp on it. And let us take and make application in our lives. Thank you for loving us so well, God. God bless you. Have a super day. Have a blessed week, and next week we're going to come back and spend a little more time in the scriptures about fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and how that affects our, all of our relationships. So God bless. Go in the peace of the Lord. Blessed is you.